0: This morning's scripture passage is taken from the the book of Jeremiah, the 17th chapter, beginning with verse 5 and continuing on through verse 10. You can follow along as I read. Thus says the Lord, curses the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things. And desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Amen. Good morning. Let's uh, pray and get to work on our passage this morning. Father in heaven, we ask you in Jesus name to meet with us and to use your word to get below the surface, the veneer. the things that we like to hide and cover, and we pray that you would help us to see clearly our hearts and particularly the, the idol, idols of our hearts, that, um, Father, we could know how to change to identify this problem and then in the weeks to come very clearly see some paths of solution. Um, so, God, give us grace today to hear, to listen, and to obey whatever it is that you put your finger on, And bring us back to the reality of what the cross of Christ really means. Make it practical, make it real. We pray in Jesus' name. The prophet Jeremiah was a man who understood very well the battle and the tension of dealing with the fear of man. In fact, the book of Jeremiah begins with this opening statement of God's call upon him, saying that he called him while he was even in the womb to make him a prophet to the nations. And then he gives him this charge. He says, whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces. That's a very interesting thing to say. Do not be afraid of their faces. He says this, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Now why would God say that? Well, the reason was is because Jeremiah was given a very, very tough ministry. In fact, one of the hardest of all the prophets. He was known as the weeping prophet because he cried so much about the unrelenting waywardness of the people of Israel and the nation of Judah. Uh, Jeremiah's ministry is put in the midst of a context where the culture in the world was radically changing. Assyria, um, a country that was uh, the capital city of Nineveh, had really conquered the world and had taken over and deported the northern um, part of the nation of Israel and taken them into cap- captivity. And while Assyria was gaining in their ascendance, a new nation was developing and emerging as a threat to the superpower Assyria, and that was Babylon. And over time, Babylon became a more and more of a threat even to the nation of Judah. Eventually, in 612 BC, the capital city of Nineveh was conquered by the Babylonians, and Babylon began to take over the world. They became the new superpower, and the the major question in the nation of Judah was, what's going to happen to us? To the north, Israel had already been taken captive, and they thought for sure... Babylon's going to come and take us as well. Well, sure enough, slowly over time, certain levels of deportations happened. Those of you who know the story of Daniel will know that in in one case, uh, Daniel and his friends and a number of the upper-ranking officials' children were taken to Babylon. And the purpose was to really um, indoctrinate them into the Babylonian waves. And the second wave came with the prophet Ezekiel who left. And so Jeremiah's ministry is set into this environment where it's uh, fearful, it's uncertain, you have this emerging superpower, this threat of what's going to happen to us. And in the midst of that, God tells Jeremiah that he is his mouthpiece to call the people to repentance. The problem is, is that often Jeremiah's words are not good news. He calls the people to repent, but also tells them that Babylon's going to come and conquer them and that... Really, the nation of Judah, as it had known itself, was going to be decimated. And and Jeremiah is given this particular message. In in, in fact, he serves during the reign of five different kings, some of whom were set into place um, by the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. And over a hundred times, he tells the people of Judah that they need to repent. His message was incredibly unpopular. Unpopular. In one instance, he was told to go to the temple, in you know, the court of the Lord's house, this is Jeremiah chapter 26, and tell the people, if you do not listen to me, and if you do not walk in the law of the Lord, God will destroy this city and his temple. He will make you and this nation a curse to every nation on the earth. Well, Jeremiah's words became viewed as a threat to national security, and eventually he was arrested But his entire ministry is shaped by having to give difficult words and say hard things and then to be opposed. And so Jeremiah was a man who knew what it was like to deal with the fear of man. In fact, you've already got Jeremiah 17 open. Go to Jeremiah chapter 20. You've got to understand that this was not an easy calling. And Yet from this prophet, we learn some wonderful things about how to deal with the issue of the fear of man because Jeremiah had to deal with it. And we, we get a, a, some pretty clear indications as to what he did. Jeremiah 20 and verse 8. Notice the tension in the text between what he has to say, how people treat him, and his view of God. He says, I am in derision daily. This is Jeremiah 28. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. For when I spoke, I cried out, I shouted, violence and plunder, because of the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and a derision daily. Then I said, so he says these things, and then he says, I will not mention of him nor speak any more in his name. Never said that. So so you go into a conversation and you know you got to say something hard and you're hoping and praying that the Lord's going to create a really good outcome out of these hard words and you know what you need to do and you do it and it blows up in your face and you walk away from the conversation going, well, that didn't go well. <laughs> and then you think, you know what, this truth and love thing, it doesn't work. I'm not doing that ever again. Ever said that or thought that? Well, Jeremiah did, and then notice what happens. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up within my bones. I was weary of holding it back. I could not, for I heard many mocking. Fear on every side. Report, they say, and we will report it. All my acquaintances watch for my stumbling, saying, perhaps he can be induced. Then we will prevail against him, and we will take our revenge on him. And then notice this. But the Lord is with me as a mighty, awesome one. There's the key to his life right there. He says hard things, he's in derision, he's mocked, and yet there is this abiding orientation of his soul that is focused on who God is. You see, Jeremiah knew that the fear of man is conquered by a more powerful force than what people think of you. It is what God thinks of you. He found that the desire to be quiet was blown away by this burning power to be faithful to God's word. He knew how to live on this phrase, and we see it in Jeremiah seventeen seven. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. So he learned that there's safety, like we saw last week from Proverbs twenty nine, twenty five. The fear of man is a snare, or lays a snare, but the one who trusts in the Lord is safe. So, the aim of this message today is to try and help you deal with the vertical. The first message was to show you that the fear of man is a trap, it's a snare. Today, we're going to talk about the problem of worship and how it relates to the subject of approval, addiction, and what other people think of us. I, you see, I've not done you a service if at the end of this series, and next week we'll look at how the gospel. Um, relates to all of this that will become kind of the major solution to the problem and then finally how to love people but i will not have served you well if at the end of this sermon series you just have a new chip on your shoulder with something like this who cares what they think i don't care what they think who cares what they think i don't need their approval the reality is even though you say that in your heart if you haven't dealt with the root cause you'll simply put a band-aid on a big problem and so my aim today is to try and help you understand what the connection is between approval and idolatry and how those two things intersect and really um, feed, off one of no, uh, feed off of one another and help you see what the solution is. So today we're dealing with the vertical. What is, what is approval? What does the fear of man tell me about my view of God uh, how, does, how do I deal with the fact that I really want people to like me? And how does that relate to who my God is? And then how does that relate to the idols of my heart? So here's the first thing I want to show you. And that is this, that approval addiction comes from an idol in our heart. Now this may not be a new concept for all of you in this room, but it's really important that we review it for those of you who know this to be true. And secondly, for some of you, this is a brand new concept that could really help you understand what's going on inside of the heart. So from Jeremiah 17, we see this. We see that the man who puts his trust in man and makes his flesh his strength is cursed. And then it tells us why. It tells us something about his heart in verse 5. He says, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. And then here, here's the key. Whose heart departs from the Lord. That was a revolutionary concept for me to discover this, years ago when I began struggling and wrestling and dealing with this issue of the fear of man. It's that what's really going on inside of my heart is a momentary or temporary departation from the worship of God, so that my approval problem is not just about people, it's actually about something that's going on on the inside of my heart. So the implication is this, that putting my trust in man means that my heart is actually in rebellion against God, even if it's just for a few seconds. So realize that your heart was made to worship and you are always worshiping something. No one stops worshiping for a second. The question is, what object in life are you offering your allegiance to? So the issue of idolatry is significant. For some of you to think of idols, you immediately think of wooden figurines or um, candles on a side of a tree or a cutout in a wall. You think of missionary pictures of voodoo dolls and but what you need to know is the concept of idolatry is is, is broader than just what you might think. And in fact, in the Old Testament, you see it all the time with Baal and Ashtoreth, these these, these two gods that the Israelites worshipped. And have you ever read the Old Testament, and you keep seeing these prophets come back and say, don't worship the Baals, don't worship Ashtoreth, and they tear down the poles, and then the people go right back to it. Have you ever wondered, what's the big deal with these gods? Well, how come they keep going back to them? Or another instance, remember um, when Moses is up on Mount Sinai and God's up there in smoke and fire and people are all down there below and Moses doesn't come back for 40 days? And so the people are like, look, we need a God, you make us one, and so... Aaron takes the gold and he forms this golden calf and you remember kind of the sad but funny moment when Moses came back down the mountain and he he looked at Aaron and said, where did this calf come from? And Aaron, with the worst excuse in the world, says, uh, we had this gold and we put it in the fire and this calf came out. I mean, that's like, oh, okay, that's good. Thanks. Thanks for that explanation, Aaron. God bless you. I mean, that's like terrible, right? And the problem was, is the people wanted a God. And have you ever wondered, You know, so they're they're, they're looking at that calf and they're going, "You're the God who brought us out of the land of Egypt." They they just made this god and they're bowing. So what's the attraction? What's the lure? What what what's the hook on these idols? Well, here's what it is: the lure and attraction of the idol means that it represents something that gives me what I want. So the attraction or the lure of the idol is this belief that this thing that I've created can actually give me what I want. So the problem with the fear of man is what it eclipses. Rather than understanding that God can give me what I really desire and my only real satisfaction can come from Him, suddenly now I create these other gods, these other idols, such that these things or these people in our context this morning become more important to us practically than what God thinks of us. Classic passage on this, Ezekiel 14. Listen to what Ezekiel says. Actually, God says, Thus says the Lord, Every one of the house of Israel who sets up idols in his heart and puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity, and then comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him who comes according to the multitude of his idols. So the idea is this. God sees all these people coming to Ezekiel and they're coming to find out what the Lord's will is. What does the Lord want? What does the Lord want? What's what, what's his will? And God says, Ezekiel, all these people who are coming to you have idols within their hearts and I will answer them according to the multitude of the idols in their hearts. The, the text tells us that the human heart, listen, as John Calvin said, is a massive idol factory. I heard of someone last evening told me there's a particular plant down in tennessee or somewhere for a a car company and they make a particular vehicle uh, so well so quickly that a new car comes off the assembly line every 59 seconds it's amazing every 59 seconds a new vehicle comes off the lot not that they can sell them but right so they come off the lot but there's 59 vehicles coming off that or a lot coming off that that uh, cars coming off that lot 59 seconds john kelvin says that your heart is like that that continually, over and over and over and over, our heart is a massive idol factory, looking for things to attach our affections, our desires, and our longings to. So understand that idolatry is not just a case of wooden figurines or candle-lit shrines, that idolatry can take the form of really anything. And in our case this morning, it actually takes the form of people who become conduits for what our lustful heart desires. And according to Jeremiah 17, we end up using them and the effect is a cursed life. So the idols of the heart are the problem. Let me show you this in the New Testament. Take your Bible, go to John chapter 12. Really helpful uh, passage in John 12 that you'll see the connection between what somebody does and what they love and their affections. Again, I'm laying out the case for the connection between idolatry and approval. John 12, here's what it says, verse 42. Nevertheless, even among the rulers... John 12, 42, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. So that's what they did. They believed in him, but they didn't speak about him. They they believed things, but they they wouldn't associate with him. And so then you think, okay, so why? And gratefully, this passage gives us the answer. And notice the affection, the, the idol. For they love the praise of men more than they love the praise of God. There it is, right there. Because they love the praise of men, there's the eclipse, more than they loved the praise of God. So their love for the praise of men caused them to be silent about Christ. Ed Welch in his book, When People Are Big, God Is Small, says this, when you think of it, idolatry is the age-old strategy of the human heart. The objects of worship may change over time, but the heart stays the same. What we do is no different from what the Israelites did with the golden calf. They felt very vulnerable and needy. By the way, that's what's going on inside of your heart with approval. You feel vulnerable, you feel needy, you want something, you don't feel whole, you got to have something, and the effect is you attach yourself to a new idol. And here's what, well, it says, Even though they had witnessed the power of God, they felt afraid. They felt out of control. And their remedy was to choose an idol over the true God. So this is what we do. When approval begins to get the best of us, what we end up doing is that we have these strong desires, even good desires, for people to like us, and before you know it, that desire becomes ultimate. And here's what I just want you to see in this first point, and that is, where does this come from? This comes from a place in your heart, listen to me, that is only reserved for God. Some people describe it like this, a God-sized hole in your heart that only Jesus can fill. And the problem is, is we like to take people or their approval and try and make it fill that hole in our heart. Therefore, when the fear of man comes and it begins to hit you and the temptation is there to think, well, what do they think of me? We've got to stop and ask ourselves this question. What am I thinking? What am I worshiping? And who is my functional God right now? One of the most helpful things that I say to my heart when I'm wrestling with the fear of man is this, Mark, who is your God? Who's your God? Because this issue is no different than Baal and Ashtoreth in the Old Testament. And the question is, who really is my God? So, Jeremiah begins, Cursed is the man who makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the living God. Here's the second thing. And that is that we create approval gods to give us what we want. If you were to look at the Old Testament practice of idolatry, you would find that the power of the idol is in the want of the worshiper. The reason Israel worshiped Baal and Ashtaroth is because they believed Baal was the thunder god and Ashtaroth was the fertility goddess. And they believed that if if the, the crops were in the ground, the only way that those crops really grew was, according to the Canaanite culture, if Ashtaroth and Baal got along. And so they worshiped Baal and Ashtaroth because if they did, they would have financial prosperity. And then to make it even worse, the enemy, so wise as to the deceitfulness of the human heart, he made Ashtoreth, a female god, and Baal, a male god, and their idea was when the two of them got together in sexual union, well, that's when the beauty of nature really suddenly was created, and therefore, as a part of the Baal and Ashtoreth worship, it was just an immense, immoral, grotesque show. So you add financial success, you add desire, and you add immorality into equation, and the enemy knows he's got human beings hooked. That's why Baal and Asherah were such a snare to these people, because they wanted to be safe. They wanted to be prosperous. they They had this want, and then he added all these other things to it, and before you know it, you've got human beings hook, line, and sinker. We create approval gods, approval idols, in order to give us what we want. Idols are worshipped because we perceive that they have the power to give us something. We think that they can bless us. And the power then in the idol is in the hope that it will give me what I want, that it will make me happy. And the problem is is that initially you are happy. Because these idol gods, these approval idols that we create, initially make us feel good. So here's the cycle of idolatry that we get stuck in. It goes like this. The first thing is, is you want something. And it could be something as this. Look, I just want someone to love me. I want someone to think well of me. I want somebody to compliment me. I want somebody to praise me. And, you know, initially that might not even be a bad thing. A child grows up in a home and never complimented, never praised, never, never encouraged. That's going to create a, a messed up person. So it's not necessarily bad, but it's the problem when it goes to the next thing. We begin to see people as, you know what, they could meet this need. They could be able to make me whole. I could be in this relationship and this person could make me feel the way I've always wanted to feel. And before you know it, you, you kind of dabble in that, and that person meets the need, they, they, they pay a compliment to you, they say, y'all, Yo, you're wonderful, or, or you're you know you, you're a really unique person, and they pay those kind of compliments to you, and initially what happens is it feels good. We feel warm, we feel loved, we feel affirmed, we feel like, like this is where I'm supposed to live. But the problem is, once is never enough, is it? No one has ever received a no mom has ever received a Mother's Day card from the kids, and you, you underlined every word in the card, you know, and and, and and you wrote a really special note to mom, but little smiley faces on it, and then mom got the card and said, oh, this is great, honey, you know what, you never need to tell me you love me ever again, I'm all set, I'm all set, right? Or a, a child who hears that they're loved and affirmed by mom and dad never says to their mom and dad, okay, you never need to tell me anymore. Because the human heart always desires more. And in many respects, that's not a bad thing. It's just when that goes to the wrong extent. In fact, I would argue that this desire for more is really almost a a human... It's almost human nature. The beauty of heaven is going to be that you're going to be addicted to God forever and it'll be glorious. And the more you know of Him, the more you'll want. When our kids were little, rather than having them um, scream or cry because they wanted more of something or trying to communicate to us before they could use words we we taught them sign language a few signs actually helped all of us sin less in our home so it's great and um one sign language that we taught our kids was the sign language for more and more is like this is that right more yeah more good see i'm right so good all right so um now that i feel approved i can keep going okay so so uh, we taught our kids more and so that was if they got done with you know their green beans, oh what well, that would have been like. And they said, you know, more, oh more, good, Okay, green beans. So we taught our kids that when they wanted more of something they would do this. So one night uh, as we're putting Jeremiah when he was a little baby down, uh, we were actually had him in our bed and Sarah and I were laying on either side of him and we were just loving on him. He had these cute little chubby cheeks, and we were just kissing on him, and he was all smiles and happy and you know, and loving it and everything else. And we just kept kissing on him. We were saying, You're such a good baby, Jeremiah, we love you. In fact, initially, we didn't even know if Jeremiah had tear ducts for the first two years. He didn't cry. And so we were worried if you know, he had tear ducts or, you know, but later he cried. So it all worked out. So anyways, but um, so he, we're laying there. He's such a good baby. We're kissing on him and we're complimenting him. And all of a sudden we stopped and we looked at him and he looked at us and he goes, more, more. <laughs> and we couldn't believe it. He, he wanted more, wanted more. And, you know, I think that's a natural God-given and maybe even a good thing initially but you know, man, if you go through life and you want more, more, and I think if you're honest, there's this little part of your heart that when someone pays you a compliment, you, you know what? You did a great job. You're like, thanks. More. Right? <laughs> oh yeah, and we, and we find nice little ways to cover it, and we even spiritualize it. We go, praise the Lord. More. You know, we, we find ways to, to say things, but the reality is there's a, a craving in the heart. And listen, when that goes too far, Oh, it becomes an idol. An idol of the heart. In fact, Colossians 3, verse 5, describes covetousness as idolatry. Listen to what Paul said. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So that relentless desire for more, which could be a good thing, actually can become a really bad thing when it becomes ultimate. When your want is such is to such an extent that you end up actually serving that want. So idols, therefore, are merely the conduits for our desire. Someone pays you a compliment. You, you, you're the sweetest person I know. Wow, you must be really doing well, or you look so cute in that outfit. That was a great idea. No one listens to me like you do. These things all become opportunities for your relentlessly idolatrous heart to say More, please. The problem is that there's nothing inherently wrong with these compliments, but if they land on a vacant heart churning with idols, it's dangerous. You've seen this. Some of you may be living in this. A marriage that's in trouble because of a spouse that's never satisfied. A single adult who's overly desperate for a relationship. His or her friends just close their eyes or roll their eyes, I'm like, oh my word, he is so desperate. Worried that they're going to settle for someone that they, they shouldn't be involved in. But they've got to have a boyfriend. They've got to have a relationship. A couple so infatuated with each other that they cut off all other relationships, including family. They're so, what they are is they're two halves and they think they can make a whole. Or as I've said a couple before, couples before in counseling, you know, your idols like each other. And, and what happens is your idols feed off of each other. A person who swore they never committed adultery but did because it met a need in their heart. Or a person addicted to pornography because the image on the screen seems to want him. See, beware, friends, of the idle factory of your heart. Beware of the want in your life that is so strong. Because it can destroy relationships. It can really mess up your marriage. it It can make you a really bad parent. Do you know you can live in light of what your children think of you? I mean, I feel this pressure. My wife kind of laughs at me, a little concerned at times, because, like, when I take Savannah to the grocery store, I mean, it's a continual idle factory battle throughout the whole store. And the reason is just because we're tooling through, let's just say all these like we were a couple of weeks ago, and, um, and she sees this, like, Fig Newton box. And she's like, Daddy, please. I'm like, no, 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 no. And then she's says, Daddy, can we have this? And so I'm perpetually saying, no, 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 no. And I don't like to be the no dad. It's just not fun. And, and, and she looks at me like, huh, you know, like just a loser, Dad. You know, what's going on? And, and so we get around this corner, and she sees this, this this sippy cup that's got like a ballerina on it, and, she, and it's got little water and sparkies in the bottom, and there's almost like music in the background. You go, whoo, you know, and she looks at it. She's like, Daddy, look. I'm like, what? She goes, oh, I need that. And I saw it, looked at it, and I was like, oh, that's pretty cute. I said, here you go, you can have it. Yeah, I'll, I'll buy that for you. And then it's like, oh, daddy, thank you, thank you. Give me a kiss, daddy. Give me a kiss, daddy. And and you know, and my heart is just you know filled with so many great emotions at that. Moment. I'm feeling really great until I get home. And um, Sarah says, what what is this? I'm like, a golden calf. Uh, <laughs> what is this? I'm like, well, she wanted it. She's like, Mark. Well, you know, it made her happy. And the truth of the matter is, it's not just her happiness that I'm concerned about. Listen to me. It's my happiness that I'm concerned about. I love the fact that that makes her happy. And it's one thing with a sippy cup. Wait till it becomes a boy, a car, um, circle of friends. That's how parents get into trouble. So you pray for me, won't you? So, okay. (laughs) Okay. And so we have to constantly guard our hearts to be sure that, that that we're not giving in to this approval God that can rule our lives. Here's the third thing, and that is that we set up idols because we um, want people to give us what we want. We, we, we set up these, these idols in our hearts in order to... Um, to identify that, that there's this yearning within us there's this connection between fear and control and idolatry take your bible and go to jeremiah chapter 5 and verse 22 jeremiah 5:22 Here's what the text says. He says, Do you not fear me, says the Lord? Will you not tremble at my presence? "...who have placed the sand as the bound of the sea by a perpetual decree that it cannot pass beyond it, and though its waves toss to and fro, yet they cannot prevail, though they roar, yet they cannot pass over And here's the key. Listen to this. "...but this people has a defiant and rebellious heart. They have revolted and departed. They do not say in their heart, let us now fear the Lord our God." So, the third point, there's a mistake here on the screen, it's this, that we set up idols because we want to be God. Not only do we create approval gods to give us what we want, but we do this because we want to be God. Listen to verse 30 of Jeremiah 5. It says, an astonishing and a horrible thing has been committed in the land. The The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule by their own power, and my people love to have it so. So... If there's one thing I could help you today and have you walk away with, it's this. That when you give in to the fear of man, your problem isn't people. The problem really, and the real God in my life, is actually me. Here's how I've put it. That the fear of man is really using people in order to give me what I want. So, if I want approval... I want the mirror of other people to show me a reflection that I want to see about myself. The problem is, is that if you get hooked in this approval thing, it becomes like a carnival of mirrors. You know what I'm talking about? You go to the fair before and you see these mirrors and you look at one and your head's all big. You go to the next one, your feet are all big. Next one, you're skinny. Next one, you're fat. And, And approval addiction really becomes this thing where you're moving from one mirror to another and you end up really not even knowing who you are anymore. And it's really what's happening is you're, you're using people in order to try and get what you want. And this is exactly what was going on with Baal worship. Look at what Welch says. He says, They opposed God by trusting in themselves and their own gods rather than the true God. After all, they couldn't be absolutely certain that God was going to bless the women with fertility. And what about those other gods that seemed to have power over the power to give abundant crops? Just in case God wasn't enough, there's the key. They started to follow other gods. They thought idols would give them what they wanted or felt they needed. They wanted a God they could control. That's what we do is I want control. And this is where the approval piece becomes very controlling. The cycle of idolatry grows as the heart has this strong desire, and you actually become enslaved. There's some of you here today, you hate how the fact that this controls your life, because you put more and more demands on relationships. You get more and more insecure. There's more and more of this sense that, that I want people to like me. I want to know what they think of me. And therefore you project that on other people. And the real problem is not people. It's the fact that you want what you want and you'll find any way to be able to get it. The person actually becomes more and more miserable because the heart's appetite is insatiable. It doesn't stop. More and more and more it takes one long run, one wrong look, one misconversation with somebody, one not being invited to a particular activity. you find out that three of your friends got together and they didn 't invite you and you 're like, "Wait a minute, I thought we were over this, like when we were thirteen, and yet it still bothers you in fact, the, the reality is I think that um, you could walk in the hallway at church and someone walks by and doesn't say aggressively, Hi! Like they normally do. They're having a bad day, but you think they're upset with you. And all day long it consumes you. What was wrong? What did I do? Didn't I, say, I didn't like what I have on today. What's going on? You get a text message from somebody. You're like, what? And all these emotions come up. And, and what's going on inside of the heart is this relentless desire to be in control of our own lives. We want to dictate what people think or say of us. a pastor friend of mine I was talking about I'm talking with him this week about this subject and he told me about a guy in his church that he just really wrestled with the fear of man. He said, Mark, this guy got in my head. What he thought of me was the last thought of the day and what, what, what he thought of me was the first thought when I woke up. And some of you know exactly what that's like. Here's the last thing, and that is this, that our idolatrous craving for approval can actually ruin our lives. Jeremiah 17 describes people this way. They are like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. They live in a barren wilderness on salty flats where no one lives. That's that's the person who fears man. That's the person who puts his strength in man. There's a hopeless, dry barrenness there. It's a depressing picture, one that's designed to remind us don't live like this. Because trusting in man fearing man leads to a life of barrenness. Oh, you could be in a relationship, you could have lots of friends, you could have a marriage, you could have kids, but the reality is you live a barren life because there's this relentless desire for more approval, more approval, and it doesn't ever stop. Again, here's what Welch says, the idol we choose to worship soon owns us. Although insignificant in itself, the idol becomes huge and rules us. It tells us how to think, what to feel, how to act. It tells us what to wear. It tells us to laugh at the dirty joke. It tells us to be frightened to death, that we might have to get up in front of a group and say something. The whole strategy backfires. We never expect that using people to meet our desires leaves us enslaved to them, but that's exactly what happens. And why? Because of the idol of the heart. The fear of man never turns out like you hope. And it ends up ruining relationships that 's what we 're talking about this month is relationships. It ruins them because you end up being defensive. You shift the blame onto others you 're angry when people oppose you. You, you. you become critical, condemning, negative, and judgmental, especially at people who you think are, are maybe smarter or better than you because you can 't stand for that to be no you 've got to bring them down. so you find all sorts of ways to cut people down. You, you feel constantly defensive you 're a person who 's easily defensive. You're more prone to command than to obey, to teach, than to be taught, to speak, than to, be, than to listen. You're impatient or upset when you're contradicted. If anyone challenges you, well, boom, you blow your stack. Why? Because you've got to be the man. Unwilling to cover issues in love, unwilling to forgive people. You're often discontent with life. You struggle with covetousness at many levels because it, nothing ever satisfies. So you, you move from maybe relationship to relationship, from job to job, the city to city. You change your hairstyle, you change your, your educational prowess, you, 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 you change how you appear, you buy a new car, you buy a new house, but it doesn't satisfy. Why? Because this relentless need for approval, it will never end. The approval junkie is miserable because his or her relentless desire for approval never ends and it destroys relationships. You know, I thought when I would grow up that I could put behind me all of the feelings that I used to have when I was like 12 or 13 years old. Do you remember what those years were like? I do. It's a bad season of my life. I had big knobby knees, shortest guy in my class. Truth. Truth. Um, buck teeth, um, I had to wear headgear um, 15 hours a day, so I had to go to school like with a Space Max thing on. I mean, it was it's a pretty ugly season. And then, throughout the course of time, somebody convinced me to get like a, a body wave perm, and um, that went really bad, and it was really curly, it looked like Ronald McDonald. It was a bad season of life. I actually remember, and I remember remember going to church one time with this curly-haired, thing looking out the window going i don't want to see anybody i remember walking into church and the only thing i wanted to know is what do you think about how i look and the reality is i thought you know after you got out of high school all that would go away it just it just changed and i thought you go to college it'll go away and i thought you get an adult that'll all change as well but the reality you know what i found i found that beneath every single human being is a 13 year old kid trying to be cool fit in and be hip And I don't care how young you are or how old you are, every single one of us, if you're honest, are still that cracky voice, pimpled face, big-haired teenager who's like, do you like me or not? (laughs) That's who we are. And you can cover it up with all sorts of degrees and cars and all this stuff and all this cool stuff, but the reality is, if you're honest, down in your core, that's still who you really are. Or at least who you are in your dark moments. And the beautiful thing that we're going to see next week is the way in which Jesus Christ and his love and justification creates a solid foundation upon which we can then say, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I am an approved, loved person. And it's not just about more self-esteem. No, it's actually about understanding who I am and the person and work of Christ. You see, the approval junkie never understands... That They need to evaluate, look, who is my God right now? When I feel this way, is God really important to me than anything else? Can I really be satisfied with Him alone? The heart is deceitful, says Jeremiah. It's desperately sick. Who can know it? God says, I know it. So here's the question. When God looks from heaven today and He sees what's going on inside of your heart, what does He see? Does He see a heart full of want, full of desire, full of yearning? What are the conduits of your heart that you use to try and get what you want? I wonder if He's speaking to you this morning about the reality of what goes on inside of your heart. And my question is, do you want to be free? Do you want to put behind you this the 13-year-old kid who's still trying to figure out if he belongs and be content and really who you are in the person and work of Christ? Think of what life could be f- like if you could be free from the idol of approval. Think what it would be like to know Christ and be satisfied in him so that you are secure and safe and free. I read a hymn story this week that moved me. George Matheson wrote the song, Oh Love That Will Not Let Me Go, at age 20. No, later on in life, excuse me. At age 20, he was engaged to be married, and then he found out he was going blind. His fiance, when she found out that he was going blind, couldn't deal with the fact of being married to a blind man, and she broke up with him. Ended the relationship. His blindness progressed, and the only person who would help him was his sister, so he moved in with her. And then a few years later, his sister met a man, and she got married. And that meant he was going to have to find some place to live. So he's been rejected because of his blindness. The only person who cared for him in life is now going to be married. And the night before her wedding, no doubt thinking about his 20 year, when he was age 20, this engagement that was broken off, and the fact that his sister was going to be married and he would likely be alone, out of the overflow of his heart, he wrote this hymn, O love, that will not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. O love that will not let me go. Here's the thing I want to push into your heart. There is only one love in all of the universe that will not let you go. It's the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the way that you slay the seductive power of the approval idol in your life is to eclipse it with a greater love. A love that will not let you go. And that love is found in who Jesus is. Father in heaven, I pray... That you would ground us in the person of Christ, the power of who he is, and the reality of what it means to be free in him. Oh Lord, we need your help to see the idols of our hearts clearly, and to see also clearly this love that will not let us go. Lord, I pray that you might even use this sermon on approval addiction to open the hearts of some half-hearted people who are are trying to get approval from so many other things and in the end, it's their sinfulness that creates these desires and the only way for that to be remedied is with a personal relationship with you. God, it would be great if you could use relationships in order to point us to the ultimate relationship which is with you. So give us help. Help us to anchor our hearts to the love that will not let us go. A love found only in you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, listen, if you need someone to pray with, either here or in worship too, we'll have some counselors up at the end, all right? Just able to pray for you. Go find someone love on them today, all right? Be free in the love of Christ. God bless you guys. I love you. Thanks for coming.